Thanks for being here this morning on this incredibly rainy day and um, whatnot. When I got up this morning at somewhere around five or six, some, something like that, I, uh, man, it was coming down, but so glad that you're here. Um, we had a man camp last weekend, and it was an incredible time. And um, this, we had uh, over 50 guys go from our church, and uh, you would not have believed what, what God did in the lives of our, our men and, and how he spoke uh, to these guys. And I'm excited about the future. And in part, I'd want to say something to our guys this morning and just say, uh, I want to encourage you uh, to continue on, perhaps write down the things that we talked about at man camp, uh, the things that we said, we're going to take responsibility for this. We're, not, we're no longer going to put this on something else or on our work or on um, you know, our activities, but we're going to take responsibility for how we serve God and what we do. Because I honestly believe this, that uh, our leadership in the home and the way that we live our lives is absolutely key in our relationships. That doesn't, that's not to demean the role of our gals here at, at the church, which is uh, significant, but it just means this, that oftentimes it is up to us to create a plan in order to move forward with our relationship with God and to be men of God and to continue on in that way. And so I want to challenge you with that. Our hope is to get back together in a couple of weeks with you guys and to reaffirm that and to just talk about what, what steps we've taken in uh, this taking responsibility. So um, I'm excited about that. We have other things that um, as a result of man camp kind of came, came up. And um, they're exciting things that I don't know how the Lord is going to work in, uh, in and through our church, but they're exciting things, and um, they're, they're not ready for prime time quite yet, but we're just praying about what the Lord would have us do uh, next year um, in a different way and in a new way, um, hopefully uh, for the sole purpose um, of bringing in non-believing men uh, into our uh, circle and to uh, enjoy our time together. And so I'm excited about that and I'm looking forward to it. And I'm, I'm praying uh, towards this um, we, and it's in the works. And so I'm praying that you guys would, would uh, be praying about that as well. And so uh, this morning we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We left off in verse 8 last week. And uh, we'll, we'll pick it up in verse 9 here in just a second. We'll be going over a large uh, swath of scripture. And so... Um, and really what it's about is money. And so, um, so glad that you're here this morning. You may not be glad that you're here this morning, but uh, I'm glad that you're here. And so you know what's coming. We're going to talk about money today. You know that we, we don't do that super often, but today we are going to. We believe that a regular discussion about what happens with our finances, whether it's through tithing or the way that we use our finances personally, is absolutely critical with, the, with your relationship with God. Because money, like many other things, uh, can be and often is a God to us. It is another God, a small g God. It's a God that we go after very often. And so uh, uh, many of us think, well, I, I don't seem to be very money hungry. But the truth is, is that deep down inside of us, uh, we are greedy people. I'm going to include myself in that. We tend to have this deep-seated greed that is going on in our hearts and it expresses itself in some significant ways in our lives. It causes marital strife 
It can set you up for failure in the future. It can turn your eyes away from Jesus and onto all of these other lesser things. And ultimately what ends up taking place is that your faith can oftentimes be decimated because of your myopic, uh, meaning your soul focus on your finances or your work or your desire for wealth or that promotion. They're all kind of tied together. And so what we want to talk about this morning is how do we release those things so that we can actually enjoy what God has given us, so that we can enjoy life in a way that God has called us to. I, I want to tell you that I think that this is one of the most critical things that you could address in your life. I also want to say this, and that is that very often it affects the church, the way that you deal with finances. The scriptures are clear that God's people are to support uh, uh, God's work. God is the one who ultimately controls uh, those, those finances and so forth. But I need to speak to our church about that and just say this, that if you're a Christian, that you have a responsibility to support the work of God um, at, at the local church and in other areas as well. And using your finances correctly does not only uh, helps uh, the church, God's, God's body, but it also helps you. It also helps you. When you understand how your finances work in everyday life, um, you are going to find out that you are not, you're, that the church isn't the only thing that's helped or that charity that you serve or, or the way that you share with uh, other people in your life or the way that you're generous. It's not just those people that are helped, but it's going to be you that has helped as well. Because the way that we give with our finances really shows where our heart is at. It shows the posture of your heart towards God. It shows whether you're really after God or whether you're uh, just kind of playing this Christian game. And so uh, the way that we talk about uh, things here at Outward is that we just want to be really clear. Like we're not interested in being Christians who are bench warmers or pew warmers as it were. We're not interested in being Christians who are just kind of lightly involved with this Christianity thing. We are interested in being Christians who are totally devoted to Jesus Christ. And it is in and through him that we have a relationship with God. And the sooner we figure out how to let go of all of these other gods and all of these other things, the sooner we're going to be able to engage with him on a deeper level. I've said it before that your finances are very much the key in many cases to your relationship with God, where you come to a place and you say, you know, I, I feel like I haven't quite gotten over this hump and I don't know exactly how to experience God on a deeper level. I'd like to experience him, but I just can't seem to get there. But oftentimes it is your finances that is holding you back because uh, wh where your treasure is there, your heart will be also as Jesus said. And so what happens is this, is that because my wallet is with me or my wallet is within, is in my possessions because of those things, what's really happening is that I'm not, I haven't really given myself. Really, our wallet is the last thing to get saved oftentimes. It's the last thing that we are really able to give up uh, very frequently because I, I believe this, it does take somebody who knows and loves Jesus a lot, but then also wants to dive deeper into that, who says, okay, I wanna, I wanna give this as well. I wanna give this as well. And it's not really until that takes place on all levels, not just in your charitable giving, but in the way that you spend your money on a regular basis within the context of your home um, that is going to draw your heart into him, 
There, there are so many benefits with understanding this. We didn't plan the way that this worked out today. As you see, uh, we have uh, uh, Financial Peace University that begins this week. We didn't plan this. Uh, uh, Pastor Brian said he wanted to lead that class. We scheduled it for this time. It just so happens I'm on this passage. I didn't even try to do this. So this is totally of God that we would, that we would do this. So our heart is for you. It is for uh, how you spend the money that God has given you. And we want to see you operate in that. And so I, I want to ask you not to miss the opportunity that comes through Financial Peace University. There's very practical steps. My wife and I have walked through those. We no longer have any credit card debt. And, so, and as a result, it has freed up a lot of stress in our life. And as Dave Ramsey says, it's like getting a raise because we're not paying for our uh, past and our future. We're not you know, paying a penalty now. What we're doing is actually we're enjoying what God has given us today rather than dealing with uh, poor decisions in the past. So I want to encourage you with that to not let this opportunity go by, but to engage in it and sign up for that. I realize there's a cost associated with it, and it's like, hey, I'm already having problems. Why would you charge this much money? We don't charge the money. It's, it's uh, Dave Ramsey, and um, our church is not made of money. Let me, let me also say this. One more clarifier. Um, as far as churches go, I want you to know that anybody, any kind of church expert that would look at our church and they would look over our finances, if they, if they had to guess, they'd say, I, I, I'd imagine that your giving is not very good because of the age range that you have. We have a lot of younger people at our church. But I want to tell you that that's not the case. I want to tell you that God has blessed us immensely. Now, here's what can happen with this, is that you uh, can sometimes feel unmotivated we see that in the, way, in the way that giving happens. I don't want to see you less motivated by this, but I want to see you encouraged by this, that many of you have caught onto this idea of giving and you've said, uh, I, I want to get my finances right personally so that I have uh, the ability to be able to give to God uh, generously. And many of you have done that. And so I'm incredibly grateful for that. We have uh, further go goals, obviously, that are out there that we want to see... Um, uh, we're, we're praying that God would enable us to uh, hire another staff person, but we're also praying for further uh, help within our community. Um, just this year alone, I was looking over some of the books last night, and I think, um, if I remember correctly, I meant to look at this one more time, but I believe it's about $15,000 this year alone that we've put into uh, ministry outreach. Part of that is through Man Camp, through some of the, the finances that, we've, that we gave to scholarship some guys. Um, it, part of that happened through that. Part of it's happened through church planting. Part of it's happened through um, funding a church planter in uh, Alaska. Uh, some of it's through Acts 29 in uh, the nation, uh, which is a network that we're a part of. But there's also a regional branch of that that we give to as well. So you're a part of that. You've been able to help out with that. So we are all about God doing his work in our city. And when we plant a church... Um, anywhere in the world, what happens is this, is that there is a fortress, basically, in that city that then is able to go out and to be able to minister to their city, to help people to understand what it means to know and love Jesus and to see them be better husbands and, and, and uh, fathers and mothers and daughters and, and children. This is part of what, we're, what we do. We're, we're serving our community. We're serving our world through the way that we support uh, the church and through church planting. So let's get going here. Uh, chapter 5, verse 8. 
says this. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. Each one is watching each other's back. They're all making sure that they get their cut. This official's watched by this one, and this official's watched by that one. That's what that's saying there, is that if you see oppression, uh, just understand that that's the way that life has worked. This doesn't mean you shouldn't do anything about it, but that's the way that life has worked. Uh, government is oftentimes corrupt, not all the time, but oftentimes it's corrupt, and so they're watching each other's back, but a good king, verse 9, but this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. So he's committed to uh, his society having food to eat and being industrious and so forth. Let's continue. Verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. And he has come from his mother, as he uh, came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, shall he go? And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good. Notice the contrast between good and evil here. Behold, what, I've, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun. The few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. This is his place. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years uh, are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he, for it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. You see what he just said there? It's better to not have ever been born. A stillborn child passed away in the womb. He's saying, 
that person is better off than the person who has riches and is never satisfied. That's it, because that person has rest. And the person who has riches and who's constantly going after them and can never enjoy them and is never satisfied is the person who is constantly lacking peace. Lacking peace. Verse 6 of chapter 6. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is, and it is known what man is and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his life, of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? So we leave off with a question. He's saying, who can tell man what's going to be after him? Who can do this? It's, 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 there's this question that's kind of hanging in the air. All of this goes together, I believe. It's all one passage. And it, it, it's in a structure that's, that's typical of the time, which essentially he starts with a, with a subject and it kind of builds like a, a pyramid to his point, and then it goes back down to the subject. And if you were to look at it on paper, you'd see that there's some connections between the beginning and the end, and they kind of go back and forth and back and forth till there's a focal point in the middle. But do you see what's happening here? Uh, Solomon is pointing out that there are many, many, many of us, especially us as we live in the richest nation in the world, that have pursued money and pursued money and pursued money. And there's some indication that Solomon, during his time, as he's writing this, he's looking at Israel, he's looking at God's people, and he's saying, this is what's taking place. That people are pursuing money at all costs. They're pursuing wealth, and it is not bringing satisfaction. Randy Alcorn assimilates it to a mirage. He says that people are continually pursuing this mirage. It's like you're in a desert and you think you see this city or a water fountain or a, a lake or something. And you keep going after it and then you get there and it's not there. And then you say, oh, I see another one. And then you get there and it's not there. And the thing is that you and I think that we're pursuing things. And we think, if I get that thing, you say, well, I'm not very material. But in many cases, we are. It, it may be as simple as creating a savings account. When I get to $10,000, then I'll be happy with where things are at and I'll have security. But then $10,000 isn't going to do it. It's going to be 15 or 20 or 100. It's going to keep going. It's going to be those little things, your possessions in life. It's going to be a car that simply works. I don't want much. I just want a car that works. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be a, a new house or a, a house at all. It's going to be a new apartment. It's going to be a different set of clothes. It's going to be something else. Do you see that your life is set up as a series of mirages? That you're looking out and you think you see something in the distance. And so you go for it and you go for it and you go for it. But you cannot seem to find the satisfaction. You and I, our lives are on slow motion. 
so that we don't really see this play out. But if you could step back from your life in a second and just look at it, you'd see this pattern as it's played out over your life. The reason why Solomon is able to speak to this is that he has a fast forward button. And his fast forward button in life is essentially that he has unlimited resources. And his unlimited resources have gained him everything that he's ever wanted. And he's pursued it and he's pursued it and he's pursued it. And he gets there and he finds out satisfaction is not there. It's not there. Satisfaction isn't there. In fact, he goes into a number of things that turn out to be real problems for people who are after money, for people who are chasing money. And he essentially says this in verse 10. This is a list from uh, Randy Alcorn, his book, uh, The Treasure Principle. I thought it was excellent, some of the things that he has to say. But basically, Solomon says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. If you love money, you're not going to be satisfied with money. But that's really many of us, if not all of us in this room. On some level or another, there's, there is a way that we love money. And so he says, from verse 10, he says, uh, whoever loves money never has enough. Randy Alcorn says this, the more you have, the more you want. Uh, John D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men in the world, famously said when somebody asked him, how much money is going to be enough? And he says, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Number two, uh, verse 10, again, says, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. The more you have, the less satisfied you are. I was reading about a study uh, recently, and I wrote it down here. Yeah, this study found that the average cash payouts to executives in private equity or venture capitalist uh, uh, capital businesses, their payouts increased by 2% to 279,000 in 2014 from uh, from 273,000 to 2012. But richer did not mean happier because just 45% of employees said they were satisfied with the pay, down from 56% earlier. Can you imagine this? Uh, You know, and maybe somebody here makes this kind of money, but can you imagine saying, you know what? I'm just not satisfied with $280,000. It's just not enough for me. But here's the thing, is that your life will expand. It just expands and it expands. And it says here, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. The more you have, the less you're satisfied. The third thing, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. The more you have, the more people, including the government, will come after it. The more you have the more you're going to end up having to spend. You're going to buy a more expensive car, it's going to cost you more to fix it. Buy a newer car, it's going to cost you, it's going to cost you more. You're going to have more people around you. Number four says this, and what benefit are, are, are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The more you have, the more you realize it does you no good. It's like it's just, it's just kind of coming through your, in your hands and out. In your hands and out. In your hands and out. Number five, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. The uh, famous uh, poet, P. Diddy, 
wrote a song in 1997. That's when I was cool. I know it's hard to, I know it's hard to imagine, but um, steel-toed boots and uh, whatever else uh, was in style then. Uh, but the refrain of his song went something like, I don't know what they want from me. It's like the mo money we come upon, the mo problems we see. And it, it was entitled, Mo Money, Mo Problems, right? I mean, it, he, he thinks he stumbled on something, but Solomon wrote this way in advance. Number six says, I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. The more you have, the more you can hurt yourself by holding on to it. Number seven, or wealth lost through some misfortune. Verse 14, uh, the more you have, the more you have to lose. Number eight, naked a man comes from his mother's womb. And as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. That's from verse 15. The more you have, the more you leave behind. The more you have, the more you leave behind. The thing is, is that you and I don't really believe this. But not only is it confirmed by P. Diddy, but it's also confirmed by Solomon. And it's also confirmed by so many other studies that you can read. You can go online and you can find study after study after study. I, I, that was uh, that article that I, the piece of the article that I read you was from one simple search. That just basically, I was just looking for, you know, happiness related to money. And, it, and the first thing it comes up with, people who make a lot of money are not happy with the more that they get. The more that they get, the less satisfied that they are. But that's us. And so how do we overcome this? How do we come to a place where we say, you know what, uh, enough is enough. I have all that I need. He gives us the answer in verse 18. He says, behold, verse 18 of chapter 5, behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. You see what he says? He says, it's fitting to eat. To drink, to find enjoyment in your work over the few days of your life, for that's your place. That's where you're at. That's, that's fitting. So the answer to all of these problems is to, like when you take a bite of a steak, like when you take a bite of like ribs or like the chicken that I made this last week. I mean, last Sunday, uh, I, I, you know I never miss an opportunity to talk about meat, right? Um, last Sunday, I, I, uh, we were having some, some folks over from the church, and so I threw this chicken on, on, on the grill uh, right before I came uh, to preach, put it on there. I mean, it was sitting on there smoking for like three hours, this barbecue chicken. I came back. It was like perfectly done, perfectly done. And, uh, and then just enjoyed that food. But there's a part of me that's kind of saying... Am I really enjoying what God has given me? Or do I sit there and I think to myself, what could have made this better? Now, I can tell you what it is for me. I mean, that was amazing chicken. But I'm always thinking to myself, like, what could have made this a little bit better? What would make this just a little bit better? When really, God's gifts are given to me right here on this plate And I should be enjoying the food 
that I'm given to eat. Oftentimes as Christians, we think, you know, I shouldn't be enjoying these things. I shouldn't be enjoying these good things. But Solomon says, eat and drink and enjoy the things that you're doing because this is where God has placed you. This is your lot. But how many of us really do that? And how do we do that? I think he gives us more of an answer here. He says in... In, uh, in verse 19, he says, Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. And the payoff is this, verse 20, For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. What's going to take place is that, and I think he really points out three things. Uh, to accept his lot, to rejoice in his toil, and to receive a gift from God. This is a gift from God, he says. To accept, rejoice, and receive. He says, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. So many of us are focused on everything that's not working right for us. We're looking at life and we're just saying, this is so mundane. Um, I'm tired of just kind of this repetition and the things that are taking place. And Solomon has already pointed that out. As he said this, he said, I mean, the sun rises and the sun sets and it just keeps going and it keeps going. He talks about our vain life. It just seems meaningless. It's vanity. It's a vapor. It just seems like it's going over and over and over again. But he says there really is something that you can do about it. It's the recognition of God and the gifts that he gives. But I think he gives us a couple of things here. Accepting your place in life. How do you accept your place in life? How do you come to a place where you've accepted where God has you? Let me tell you real quickly. Let me tell you what acceptance doesn't look like. When you haven't accepted your lot, where God has you, you want more. And you want more than you can afford. And so you get yourself into bad debt. Now, me and uh, Ola, uh, what's his face from Financial Peace, might uh, disagree a little bit here. But I would es essentially agree on this, that credit card debt is one of the surest ways to show yourself that you have not accepted where God has you. Credit card debt reveals to you the posture of your heart towards the thing that, things that God has given you. And the thing is this, is that you are willing to sacrifice your future so that your present can be filled with more things. And you're essentially saying to God, you're saying, God, I don't trust you. You haven't given me enough. And I need more than what you've given. It is an exclamation to God that says, you have not given me enough. Now, I want you to know that I've been in this boat before. I've been in this boat repeatedly where I've gotten myself into bad debt situations. Where I've, I've gotten into to credit card debt or somehow some, some type of loan that's, that's hurting me. And so what's taken place is this, is that it brings stress on my life, and now I'm paying more 
for, uh, for the things that I have today in, in my future, and it's killing my future. It's bringing stress into my life. So one of the ways that this takes place, where we don't accept our life, is that we bring debt into our life, and bad debt at that. And so let me just say this. I think homes are good purchases. I think they are good debts. I think it's really great to pay it off, but it's an investment on your future. I think sometimes if you find a really great price on a car, I think those can be good things. As long as you don't owe more on it than what it's worth. But oftentimes that's hard to avoid if you're buying new cars. The way that we're not accepting our lot is by putting things on credit that are going to hurt our tomorrow. So we have debts that are causing problems. Well, how else can we, are we not accepting our place in life? Well, it's when we go through our life and we're essentially joyless. You go to your work and you basically say, I hate this job. I hate the things that I'm doing. I hate the way that this operates. I dislike my boss. I dislike my coworkers. Or sometimes it comes into your family where you just go, you know what? I, I'm so upset about my job and I just need another job. But here's the thing. God has you in this place. God has you right here and right now for a reason. He has you right here to experience what you're experiencing. And we know that as we persevere through difficulty that God grows us. He causes us to be different people. He causes us to lean on him. And so oftentimes, the way that we refuse to accept our lot, our place in life, is through the way that we react to the people around us. It happens to our boss, to the customers that we serve, to our community, to our family. And really, everyone's affected by this. And so we refuse to accept our lot. But what does it actually look like to accept our lot? What does it actually look like? In 1 Timothy chapter 6, there's a couple of things that I think are really key. Where he says this, uh, Paul says to Timothy in uh, chapter 6, verse 8 of 1 Timothy. But we, if we have food and clothing, with these will we, uh, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and, harmless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, sometimes people say that money is the root of all evil, and that's not true because it is the root of all meals, as Mark Driscoll used to say. It's the way that we are able to feed ourselves. I mean, we, we make money so that we can feed ourselves. But oftentimes, we get so caught up in, in being discontent but Paul is saying here, the same thing that, that uh, uh, Solomon is saying, he's saying if we have food and clothing, we should, we should be content with these. If we have those things, if we have those things that, we're, that, that God has given us, then how are we thanking him for this? Well, let me show you the other side of this. Um, he says, but those who desire to be rich, you say, I don't really desire to be rich. I just want this. I want to tell you that when I do that, I have to recognize something in me, that that's greed working itself in my life. Greed is the desire for more and more and more. It's saying, I want, I want more of these things. I want, I want more of those things that I don't have. It's essentially saying, I'm not content with what God has given me. I'm not accepting the lot that he's given me. 
And so we say, I need more. Paul says there's a huge harm in this. People who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. How long is it going to take us till we see that we're all just greedy? That we're all greedy individuals. Many of us are Christians here. We say, I'm not greedy. I've been, I've been tithing, but, but listen, there's a spectrum of greed here. And it may not be very robust in your life, and it, it, it may not present itself very often in ways that are, that are seen to other people, but there's greed, and it's working in us. How do we come to the point where we say, I'm going to accept my lot. I'm going to be content with the things that I have. I think he gives us an indication. He says, rejoicing in the work that you have. Rejoice in his toil. How do you rejoice in your toil on a regular basis? How do, you, how do you rejoice in the things that you're doing? I want to tell you this. I've said this probably 10 times since we started this series. And I cannot say this enough that I never read Ecclesiastes the way that I am right now. Looking at it and just going, man, that is me. God's given me a, a great job. And he's given me great blessings. And yet, for some reason, I walk around, and I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily angry, but there's a part of me that feels like I am sometimes. Because I'm just kind of walking around, and I, and, I'm, and, I, and I have these goals in mind. And the goal is, it's, it's something else. And, and it's something else. And while I've, money has never stuck out to me so much, but it's, it's achievement, it's achievement in different areas, and some of those things do take money. But I'm, I'm, I'm constantly perplexed by this, and, and so what it does is it makes me sullen. And I'm, and I'm upset sometimes. And I talked to my wife about this. I sat down at the, at the fire with her. We've been having these fireside chats lately. It's been so nice outside. And I just said, you know, I keep coming to the office studying, and I'm... And I'm, and I'm Studying, 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 and then all of a sudden, boom, God lays something on me. And, he, and, and it's not for you, it's for me. It's for me. And, and I think he's saying the same thing every time, so I may sound like a broken record, but at this time I had to say, I'm not satisfied. I, I haven't accepted my lot. I haven't looked around and said, you know, I'm really thankful for everything that God's doing in my life because I'm always thinking this. I just want more. There's greed that's deeply rooted in my life. And I can't be joyful over the successes because it's a mirage. When I get to that success and I just go, I should be happy about this, but look, there's something else that I want. And so I'm just looking to the next thing. And so again, I'm not joyful and I'm not happy and my wife has seen it. She says to me, I've known this for a long time about you. Guys, you want to know something? Your wife probably knows you better than you do. And maybe you ought to just ask her, where have I been a moron? You know? Just, just kind of count on it, all right? All right? Because that's where I've been a moron. Because I'm sitting at the dinner table, and this is what it looks like. 
But what, what, what am I sitting at the table with? My beautiful wife, right? My beautiful wife, who's made an incredible dinner. And my, my four beautiful kids. I don't know if you've seen my wife's Instagram account. You would think that there's nothing else that happens in her life. But like she has picture after picture after picture of my incredibly beautiful children who are absolutely hilarious. My son Hudson, he's sitting there dancing to uh, Taylor Swift, which I know is not manly, but we're, we're up. we think it's cute right now. We'll get him into, I don't know, something, something harder later, but uh, he was like, hey dad, you wanna see my chicken dance? And I was like, yes, I mean, <laughs> who doesn't wanna see your chicken dance? And so he just goes <sighs> like that all of a sudden. And you're just, and, and sometimes I'm in this stage of life where I'm just like, I can't be excited about the chicken dance, right? Chicken dance, what am I talking about? No, he says my sleep dance, that's what it was, my sleep dance. I can't be excited about my son's sleep dance that he just made up because I'm in the midst of thinking about things and I'm preoccupied and it's because of this, I haven't accepted my place in life. The reason why I haven't accepted my place in life is because I'm not rejoicing in the good things that I have. I'm an ungrateful moron because I'm not sitting there reveling in the goodness of God and what he's done for me, not just spiritually speaking, which by the way is huge, but I'm talking about right here and right now. I'm not rejoicing and just saying, I have enough. I have plenty. And anything more is just going to overflow everything else that you've given me, God. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, not, not ask for more per se, but I mean, but I'm grateful for what I have. I'm rejoicing over what you've given me. And I'm not just saying, yeah, I'm happy about that. But it's in thinking about, like, think of all the things that God has done in my life. Think of all the things that God has done in your life. And you might say, man, I, like, there's been a lot of things that haven't worked out for me. And I, and I would just say this. Exactly what Solomon says at the end of this passage. In verse 10 of chapter 6, he says, whatever has come to be has already been named Meaning this, God has already determined what's going to take place. And you could say to yourself right now, you could say, you know, God, how dare you? Why can't you give me more? But you just have to understand this, that there's an acceptance of our lot that is an acceptance of the sovereignty of God. That when I, when I become a Christian, I'm not just saying like uh, that you're kind of good, but I'm saying you're ultimately good. Even in the bad things that happen in life, that somehow God will receive glory from this. And ultimately, even in the most awful situations, God is going to right every wrong. And so I don't have to worry about that per se. I may ask him to change them. I may ask things to be different. But in some way, what we have to come to the conclusion of is this, is that God has already named everything that's going to happen 
And it is known what man is. What is man? Just man. I'm just a man. We're, we're just human. We don't have control over these things. And he, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. You can sit there and talk and talk and talk. The more words, the more vanity. And what advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man? The answer is this. God does. God does. Last thing is this. All of this is a gift from God. Look at what he says here. Chapter 6, verse 1. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. What's evil? Not enjoying the good things that God has given you. That's evil. Do you get this? Are you with me on this? That this is evil. Like, let's not call it like, you know, I know I should be more grateful. No, Solomon says it's evil. Paul says to Timothy, this is what devolves into faith-destroying stuff. When you love money, what happens is this, is that you're not enjoying what God has given you. Therefore, you're saying, God, you haven't given me enough. Ultimately, what you're saying through your life is, God, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. And so what Solomon says here is he says, he gives us the power to have these things but not the power to enjoy them independent of him. Why does God do that? He does this because of this. If you had the power to enjoy them, you'd never look back to him. Solomon is saying this, the only way to truly enjoy riches and not keep going after the mirage is to acknowledge God over all things. And in order to acknowledge God, you must ultimately say this, you know best, you have all of this planned, this is all by your design, this is your purpose, and what you're saying is what Augustine said. Speaking to God, he says, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. True rest doesn't come through more money. True rest doesn't come from your possessions. It doesn't come from any of those things. It comes from acknowledging God. How do you acknowledge God? You accept your lot as this is where God has you. You receive it with joy and you say, God, thank you for everything that you've given me. And more than just saying thank you, saying thank you, you revel in it. You acknowledge everything in your life and you say, this is all from God. Let me take it a step further. As a Christian, and I'm speaking to Christians here today. As a Christian, you've got to figure out how to manage your finances in such a way that you give back to God. If you think we're after your money, give it somewhere else. I don't care. Give it to God somewhere. I hope you give 
to the work here. But if, you, if there's a big barrier there, then you should probably give it somewhere else until you can find trust in what God's doing in this church. But I'm telling you this, give to God. Start with 10%. That's the Old Testament standard. The New Testament essentially says this, that all of everything that you have belongs to God. And so if you want to go by a New Testament standard and say, well, 10% isn't the standard, well, we'd say, well, really all of it is God's, and so where, where, where else are you going to begin? Begin by giving to God's work. And I know some of you have had a hang up with this and it's difficult for you because you haven't quite bought in yet. And I just want to say, it's okay. It's okay. But work through that. Work through that. Get to that point because God does amazing things. There's something about us when we say, God, this is yours. And I want you to have it. That changes things. Because ultimately, this is what took place. 2 Corinthians 8 says that although he was rich, he became poor for your sake. So what, what we want to give back is we want to say, Jesus, because you became poor for my sake, I'm willing to exercise trust in you and say this is yours. Because you went to the cross for me and you suffered and died for me, I can do this small thing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to come together and to uh, read your word and to talk about a difficult subject at times, which is money. And Lord, we pray that you would work um, in and through your word, and Lord, that you'd affect us. Uh, many of us don't really want to address this in our life because it is very difficult. I know from firsthand experience on a regular basis, even, even today. I hate talking about money. I hate dealing with it in my own life. I don't want to see the bad news that I've spent too much. So, Lord, I pray that all of us here would face uh, the circumstances, and, Lord, that you would work in amazing ways in our church uh, to have people who love the things that you've given them, who enjoy their life, enjoy their work, and, Lord, that it would affect their community because of the great joy that they have that is a gift from you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.